Welcome to the W2 Prison Break Show, a podcast and YouTube series hosted by real estate investor, author, and coach Brian O'Neill. Tune in each week as we interview business owners who have successfully planned and executed their W2 Prison Break. You'll hear their stories, learn about their challenges, and what ultimately pushed them over the edge and gave them the courage to break free. Most importantly, you'll discover they are not much different than you. Listen in each week as we give you useful insights and action items to start your W-2 prison break and get you on the path you were always meant to be on. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the W-2 Prison Break Show. So grateful for you tuning in each and every week. We have a really, really exciting guest for you today. This is someone that I just met. Actually, we met on vacation. So, I mean, this this episode was supposed to happen. Her name is Ali Gabrielli. She's in the tech industry in California, and you're going to hear her story about how she left her high six-figure job to start a passion of hers, pursue the business that she was passionate about, ultimately had to go back. So you're just going to hear a lot about her fears around around money and starting a business and just burnout. There's so much cool stuff in this episode, and you're really going to get a lot of value from Allie. So let's not uh, wait any longer. We're going to let her tell the story. Allie, welcome to the show. <laughs> Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. This is the best day of my life. I love it. I love it. It is the best day of your life. It is. <laughs> and it I is. did not coerce you into saying that, right? Not at all. Not, not at, at all. all. <laughs> well, listen, before we get into your background and your story, I think it's very interesting for the audience to know that we met recently. You were with your husband and I was with my wife and we were in Mexico. And we were. We, were, we were having a pretty awesome time. And you know that's why I encourage people to go on vacation because you never know who you're going to meet. Honestly, it's so true. <laughs> there yeah. could have been so many times that I rescheduled this, but the story is too perfect. It's too perfect. We had a great conversation while maybe having a couple of cocktails, possibly. <laughs> and your story really resonated with me and is what this show is all about. And I invited you to be on the show and you so graciously accepted. Absolutely. I yeah. also Tequila, so but. you left W2 and then you went back. So that's really what we yeah. want to focus on today. But, you know, let's give the listeners some background on you. I mean, take as far back as you want to go and then we'll, sure. we'll kind of dive into your first escape from W2. Absolutely. So I went to school in LA for English literature. Absolutely 180 degree difference from where I am today. So I graduated back when the economy was crashing again, you know, the first yeah. time in my life. And I had no idea what to do. No one was hiring English teachers. So I moved to South America and I became fluent in Spanish. And that was the first kind of taste that I had of entrepreneurship because I started an English Institute. I was supposed to be there for four months, ended up staying for a year and a half and my mom forced me to come home because I had some student loans <laughs> that I had to kind of take over. So that's kind of where I got my first real taste of owning my own business. And yeah. when I came home, because I was fluent in another language, a very well-reputable tech company Salesforce needed, you know, Spanish speakers. And so that's how I got my start in tech. And it really just took off from there. My next company, I worked at Twitter. That's where I met my husband. 
And it's been, you know, a couple companies since. So I really climbed the ladder really, really quickly. In that time period, I want to say, you know, seven years into my tech career, I got really tired and really burned out. And this was before the pandemic. So, you know, I can't imagine having worked through that. But I took some time, created my own company, and I left tech for about a year, year and a couple months. And I started a CPG brand, which is so different from what I'm doing today. But we can get into the details of kind of my pitfalls and what I learned in that experience. But I ended up back in tech. I live in California, so it you know wasn't going to be sustainable without a really thoughtful plan, and I needed to kind of go back to the drawing boards. Ah, okay, yeah, wow, awesome, a lot to unpack there. I don't know if you told me, and if you did, I apologize that you majored, <laughs> it majored in English literature, yeah. and so you got into tech kind of in an unconventional way. Honestly, yes. I had already signed a onboarding contract for Tishman Speyer for a commercial real estate company. Uh, I was on a completely different path. And I got this last minute interview at Salesforce. I wasn't even going to go. And my mom forced me to, my best friend forced me to. And, you know, the rest is history. Okay. So what was it that forced you? Because I think you said a couple of things in your first go at tech that you were, it was, you were kind of tired. I think those are words that you used. Yeah. Maybe expand on that a little bit more and then talk to us about the CPG brand. Like what is that? And then talk about the company you started. Absolutely. So I left, you know, burnout is such a buzzword these days. And I was feeling the effects of that even before you know, mental health was really brought into the workforce, especially in in tech. You know, everyone talks about it now, but no one was talking about it then. Hmm. I had just lost my mom. And so it was just, you know, juggling that juggling. I had a really bad digestive issue juggling. I'm in sales. So juggling a massive quota, it was, it just became too much. And I always say this, that losing my mom, while probably the most devastating thing I've ever had to go through was the clearest and most at peace I had ever been because at that moment, I just didn't care. There was just so everything fell into perspective and I came to realize really, it doesn't, at the end of the day, this doesn't matter. You know, the money you make and the value you associate to it doesn't matter because at the end of the day, it's all about the people you love and the memories you're making. And, you know, it's all of that good stuff. And so that's when I decided to start my own company. I named it after her. It was called Simply Is. Her name's Isabel. Her birthday was actually yesterday. She would be 62. And as I had mentioned before, I was dealing with a lot of digestive issues, probably because of stress, probably because of, you know, eight years of grinding. You know, that's the whole concept of sales is smile and dial, grind, work hard, play hard, and just became too much because- I mean, I've heard you say this on other podcasts, at what expense does this money mean? In my case, it was my health. And so I was diagnosed with something called SIBO, small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, Mm -hmm. which is very similar to IBS, but they give you that, you know, you're diagnosed and they slide this list of foods that you're not allowed to eat across the table. And you look at it like, what the heck? Like, I can't have an apple. I can have blueberries, but only 40. (laughs) I'm not going to carry around a scale 
sir. (laughs) And so I decided to start a snack company so that, you know, people wouldn't have to think about, you know, how many almonds does this have? How many cashews does this have? Oh my goodness. Does it have a little bit of apple? I don't know. I'm going to be bloated and look pregnant for the next two days if I eat something like that. So I started that and this tagline was, we give a shit so you don't have to. That's so, you're Uh, awesome, by the way. I'm so (laughs) glad you're on the show. You're, this is why we invited you. And you said so many things that really resonated with me. I just want to ask you, I love that you named it after your mom. And then you had this moment of clarity about perspective. And that's super important. I think a lot of us think that, but you had the wherewithal to actually follow through with it. Grinding for eight years. What does that mean? Like how many hours are you working? Like, is it just pouring over into your entire life? I mean, tell us more about that. Yes. When you're in sales, you feel like you're a doctor, except no one is dying. That's what people just don't realize. I feel in the tech world is everything is just do or die. It becomes like, takes over your personality. It takes over your entire life. It takes over your schedule. It takes over your mind, body, and spirit. And what we don't realize is no one's going to die if I don't sell this software. No one's going to die if, you know, this customer is upset for another couple hours or if, you know, it's gotten so intense, especially during a pandemic where you are now feeling like if you're not working 12 hours, you're not doing it correctly. If you're not answering your phone at 4am or, you know, your anniversary weekend, or, you know, you're missing sporting events or family barbecues, it's almost become a noble thing to be working as much as you can. Yeah. And so it just became, I remember it was right before my mom died. I'm going to drop a bomb. I'm sure you remember this, but I had a stroke and I remember going to the hospital. I was in the back of an ambulance having a stroke. My brain was bleeding. I couldn't, you know, I couldn't walk, couldn't use my right side. And I was calling my manager to tell her everything that needed to be said in my sales calls the next day, you know, the steps that we needed to close these A, B, and C deals. And that was my first thought. My first thought was not call my mom, call my dad, say bye to my family if I die. It was, oh yeah this deal needs to go come in. And so shortly after that, my mom died. And that's when I, it just all fell into place. And I was like, what are we doing? What are we doing? Yeah. I remember that. It's crazy that you get to that point. I was like that too. I used to, you know, close deals on vacation and yeah, and I get it. And part of it is like the expectation you set on yourself and then yes. what the company sets the expectation as well. And again, this is like the price that you pay when you're highly compensated, you know, tech industry pays a lot of money. And it's like, that's what's expected of you. I think exactly. And then being a female on top of it, well, you know, I was at a conference last week in a room full of 300 males over 10, I counted 10 females. Mm -hmm. So it's almost like you're held to a higher standard. You know, I listened to some of the males on my team, their calls, and I'm like, what? That's the standard and I'm operating here, but it's almost like you can't slip up because there's such a stigma against females in tech. Yeah. So it's extra pressure. Yeah. Not that you need any more. So no. (laughs) All right. So talk about you start this company, you know, dedicated to your mother. You're passionate about it. Like you have this clarity. You're excited about it. Walk us through the exit from the first company. I don't know which one it was, but walk us through that and then like the mindset and then how you did it and how you felt after you did it. 
You mean the transition into my own? I was at a CPAS company, so telecommunications tech at the time, and just I was miserable. I was miserable. It got to a point where I was, you know, throwing up before work. I was just every day. I mean, it was a toxic work environment, but that's for a different podcast. (laughs) My husband and I always like to talk about the fact that he's like a marathon runner, slow and steady. He can go 26 miles. I'm a sprinter. I just do things sometimes without thinking. And I was so at my wits end that I just quit and didn't have a plan knew I was going to, you know, get back into the workforce at some point, but had an idea for a company and then just quit. Didn't have a business plan, didn't have contacts. So I don't recommend that anyone who's listening, <laughs> like leverage your W2 as long as you can, mm-hmm. you know, raise money, put your business plan together. If you're going to bootstrap, get those funds ready. But I was so miserable and I am such a spontaneous person that that's what I did. And so for the next, I want to say, two weeks, I was glued to my computer, learning packaging, learning the CPG industry, learning shipping costs, how to do it yourself, drop shipping, you know, federal compliance and how the FDA approves food and what stickers I would need on these bars if I wanted to have an advisor who was a doctor a nutritionist, all these things. And I met with probably like 200 people. I had maybe like 15 different components of what the artwork would look like on these bars. I had my entire business plan and I was working the same amount, if not more, but I loved it. I loved it. I was so passionate about it. Not necessarily that I wanted to get into the food and beverage industry, but I just felt like I was making something that was mine that I could call my own. And it didn't feel like work at that point. Yeah. So that's what I did. I launched a company. I want to say like a record breaking one month after I left my job. One month. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. And you're in a much different spot. I mean, I can get your situation if you're in a toxic work environment. I don't recommend burning the ships either, but no. hey, sometimes you got to do what you got to do. Your mental health <laughs> is more important. And you've already, you, exactly. know, you mentioned you had the stroke. So it's like, right. I think you did the right thing probably. All right. So how did the business go? I mean, you it sounds like you really went at it. You know, you met with 200 people. I mean, I know existing successful business owners that don't do that. So keep, <laughs> well, keep going the, with the story. How did the yeah, business go? That's the benefit of being in sales is I just, I thrive off of interpersonal communication and learning from people. And I think that is something that a lot of founders stop doing is realizing that the foundation of starting a business is learning if you're not learning, your business isn't going to survive. You always need to be curious. And so that's how I started. And I can be absolutely stubborn sometimes. Like I was very stubborn on the name. I wanted it to be named after my mom, but I had a couple of investors come in and say, no, you need to change it because it doesn't make sense. I was like, that was screw you. It's my company. So like I definitely felt some of that stubbornness. But in terms of the product, so I did a ton of research. My poor siblings I would sit them down like seven times a day and be like, all right, try this prototype. We'd be on family vacation skiing and I'd be like, oh, wait, try this flavor. Try this flavor yeah. for like months or weeks and then months. But we come up, came up with an MVP and it tasted really good. And I started, you know, giving it to my friends. I did a bunch of 
taste tests at different pop-ups in San Francisco. Mm -hmm. I lived in San Francisco at the time. Another reason why we'll get to the demise, <laughs> but right. it was just very expensive. Thankfully, there's a lot of money in San Francisco. A lot of people that start companies, just not a lot of CPG companies. But anyway, back to the story. We launched the website. When I say we, I mean, me, myself and I <laughs> launched the website. I was making all of the bars. I had a commercial kitchen like an hour and a half south that I drove to every morning. And I was there for about eight to 10 hours a day making these bars with, you know, a hairnet and gloves and restrictions and rules and all this stuff. And then I'd come home and I would do the marketing and I take Instagram pictures and make videos and, you know, fulfill orders and then take them all to the U S postal service. (laughs) It was so scrappy, but it was so awesome. And I remember there was this one day that I went to like an official packaging company. It was in Mm -hmm. Concord and you know, I obviously wasn't making any money. We were on track. We were making about a couple of thousand a month. So we were on track to doing, you know, 12 to 20,000 a year in mm-hmm. revenue. Not a lot of money. It's obviously way less money than I make now or made at the time. But I remember walking to my car and the wind like blowing in my hair I was like, oh my God, Beyonce. I felt like such a badass. I felt like such a badass. It was a tiny, startup, small business, snack bar company, you know, but I felt like I had just won the lottery because I did it. I did it myself and nothing can take that feeling away from you. And so I'm happy it worked out this way. I'm happy I failed because if I didn't, I would still think, you know, I'm some, you know, (laughs) no one can touch me and everyone can touch you. (laughs) I mean, consensually, you know what I mean? For those of you that are not watching on YouTube, I am smiling ear to ear because it's so (laughs) awesome to hear someone who's, you know, making a pile of dough. Yes. Feeling like a badass, making a couple thousand dollars a month. Yes. Yes. And the amount of my friends who in San Francisco, all of your friends are making six figures, multiple six figures, if not more. And everyone is driving the nicest car. You know, we were in our 20s at the time. You know, everyone was on track to purchasing their first home at 28. You know, it's just, that's just what you do. And the amount of times I had people say, what the hell are you doing? Are you serious? Like, this is why people move to San Francisco and you're starting a snack company. That's for the Midwest. Like, you know, go live in Texas and rent a commercial kitchen there. What are you thinking renting it in San Francisco? Yeah. So the amount of doubt that I got was just like palpable. It was never ending. I want to say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's when you know you're doing the right thing. Yes. Everyone's telling you to, to not do it. Are you crazy? So absolutely. Yeah. That's like how I live my life kind of against the grain. <laughs> you should. Why do you think the bit, I mean, you say failed, but I mean, again, I, and there's, yeah. there's a lot of definitions about what that is. I mean, the fact that you try is a huge win, but what happened? Why do you think it's no longer there and you went back? Yeah. Thank you for calling that out. Fail. I don't believe in failing. It's I only believe in learning. And so that's what I did. So I didn't, let's just call it fail for now. We all know that it means something different, but the reason it didn't flourish and we're not the next Luna bar or cliff bar, the pandemic started 
and my commercial kitchen shut down Mm. and you need a special license to be making these bars at home. And even then you can only make a certain amount and it needs to obviously someone needs to come in and inspect and all that good stuff. It wasn't happening during the pandemic. We also moved from San Francisco up to Napa Valley. So it was a lot of turmoil and we saw a dip in orders and I just decided it was getting too stressful. Not in the fact that it was too much work and the fact that I had associated so much value to how much money I make Hmm. at a year off of a multi six figure salary. I was starting to feel it. And my husband and I were starting to talk about buying a house and it just, it didn't make sense to continue doing that as my full-time job. And so my initial plan was to go back to tech and, you know, give it my all, but also have this as my side hustle and as my, you know, primary, my business. Mm -hmm. But after a while tech took over and it became the sole, (laughs) the sole purpose again. Okay. How much time has passed since the business and now? Two years. Okay. Got it. Got it. So are you somewhat back to where you were before you left? I wouldn't say back. I was at a dark time. (laughs) It was a very dark time when I left the tech workforce initially, but I would say that burnout is definitely here. The burnout is definitely, I don't think that ever went away. You know, when my husband and I take vacation, we both say it takes like three days, even for us to unwind. Cause there's just so much pent up stress and you've got 70 different to-do lists in your head. And it just, it takes you time for your body to just chill and really relax. And that's why we drink so much tequila, you know, <laughs> <laughs> I can confirm that ladies. The <laughs> <laughs> <So> Wednesday, <laughs> But it's the same when you're leaving the tech workforce. It, it took me months of anxiety to to be like, chill out. Like you don't have a quota right now. I know you feel like you need to be making the six figures in order to feel valuable, but you can find other ways. And so it's almost really difficult for me to even find that fulfillment or happiness somewhere else. Because if it's not tied to money, I don't know how to quantify it. Wow. That's such a great share. And I don't think most people would admit that. And I was the same way for so long. And even still up until like recently, that's how like it becomes your identity, right? Like your paycheck or your income. Absolutely. Again, and harping on this point, especially as a female in tech, it's just like, hell yes, I made it here. This room is filled with males double my age. Yeah. And I get paid the same amount. So you you've like latch onto it. And again, it becomes your identity and it's almost like a point of pride. But then at that point, you're making decisions based on your ego. And if anyone's ever read the Bible, it's probably not the best way to make decisions. Probably not. But by the way, what you said about being the woman who is you know, matched up with the men, I mean, that's something to celebrate, right? Whether you don't like your job or not, that's something to celebrate. Okay. Exactly. And and that's I wrote I down something you said earlier and I write down a bunch of quotes, but it's a quote now. So scrappy, but so awesome. Like that's about your, and then the you know the hair flowing Beyonce moment. Like that's (laughs) that's great, but that's how you felt. And do you still think about? Like I know you got something you know in your head 
Do you still think about that moment and doing it again? I would say 24 hours a day. I think about it. Driving down the highway, if I see a billboard, not only do I think about getting into that industry, but I think about, oh, but what about the billboard industry? Like, let's look at advertising dollars. Every single thing I see, commercials, advertising, emails, I think about potential businesses. Like I know I'm an entrepreneur. And what's hard is, and this is going to sound pompous, but I don't know if there's other people that feel this way. In my household growing up, you were not allowed to be bad at something. It's taken me a lot of therapy, (laughs) but I both loved it and hated it. I loved it in the fact that, again, harping on the point that I'm in this room with so many engineers and salespeople and I'm keeping up. That is a skill that I learned. I just, I learned to adapt and to figure out ways to become good at things. The downside is I don't know what I like. I don't know if you're good at a lot of things, you figure out ways to like those things. And I don't know what I like. I mean, I think I'm getting closer, but it's hard. It's hard to take a step back and have a completely blank slate and figure out a way to make money from something that maybe is your hobby. Maybe you don't want to make money from something that's your hobby. Maybe you're better at this thing. How do I apply my sales skills? It's hard. But end of the day, if you're passionate, you will find a way to make as much money as you want. Totally. Okay. So I can assure you that people feel the same way as you do. In my real estate group, I have tons of high income earners that speak similarly to you. Yeah. Okay. Now, none of them had a stroke and I don't mean to make light of the situation, (laughs) but I'm just, you know, that's how we are. But they hate their lives, right? They're just so unhappy, but they just, and they say the same thing as you is I don't really know what I'm passionate about. And I think the lesson here is that, and you and I talked about this when we were in Mexico, sharing said tequila, but would it be safe to say that if you're high six-figure income, multiple six-figure income was covered, you'd still be doing that one to $2,000 a month gig. Yes. Right. So I think that's the block for a lot of people is it's like, how do you do that? And it's really about having other income streams come in and just the mindset of the W-2 employee. I was like that for years was like, oh, I got to replace this with one thing. Yep. And I think that's why a lot of side hustles don't make it. Exactly. Exactly. And I don't think if I had stayed with Simply As and continued doing my CPG company, who knows where I'd be right now? Probably still not anywhere near the amount of money I'm making. And so it's an endurance race. And as I said earlier, like I'm not an endurance racer. I'm a sprinter. And I'm trying to, again, learn from my husband, who is like the cool, calm, collected MBA student, has his master's, you know, really freaking smart and loves tech. I'm trying to learn as much as I can from him. And he's been an amazing mentor and kind of getting me on that track and telling me like, dude, you don't have to be hundred percent all the time. You can like take a day over your, sometimes you're 30% and that's still okay. A step forward is a step forward. doesn't have to be a leap. Yeah. Going steady. Yeah. You guys are great together for sure. And learning from each other. So, and I'm sure he's super inspired by you as well. Cause it's, it's, hard, <laughs> yeah. it's hard not to notice that. I'm like, wow, I'm not doing enough here. Ali's, you know, running, <laughs> running to the moon here, but So what do you think is, again, I know you got a lot bunch of ideas thrown in your head, but what would you do different if you were to do it again? 
I probably wouldn't do anything with food. It just gave me too much anxiety, shelf life of food. It's just too much of a risk. Even though I'm, you know, crazy, go out and do it. Let's be spontaneous and start a business in an hour. I probably, I'm still very risk averse. And so I want to be less risky. Well, not risky, you know, I wouldn't say it exactly like that, but less, I don't want there to be a shelf life for my company. My husband and I, bought a property next door to our house. And I think we told you this, that we're starting to build. First, we were going to build a house that we were going to live in, but there was an ordinance in California that passed that would allow us to build more. And so that was kind of our first step into real estate. And ever since we started talking about that, I started trying to wrap my head around either property management or real estate or Airbnbs or buying rentals. And recently we started coming up with a business plan for rental units in California. The thing is, California is freaking expensive, as everybody knows. (laughs) And so we're trying to find not different loopholes, but at least different ways that I could start to manage that. I've always been so passionate about real estate. I love houses. I love architecture. I love design. I love being creative and I love talking to people. And it just seems like such a perfect amalgamation of all those things that I have never gotten before. So we're starting. I I want to put a big asterisk on this episode and say like the story's not finished. (laughs) (laughs) And you just declared to the entire audience what you are passionate about. You said you didn't know, and then you just said it. I love it. I know. I love it. So uh, I know we're making progress. I told you I move fast. (laughs) Right. There it is. And obviously I'm very pro real estate because I have a real estate business and I think it's a great, a great way to, you know, and I have other things that I'm passionate about too, that don't earn as much money. I get to do those because of real estate or because of different stuff. So yeah, I love it. Listen, Allie, you know, a lot of people are going to resonate with your story, you know, whether it's other females or men. And again, your vulnerability is very, I'm appreciative of it. And I think a lot of people are going to be appreciative of it. So you're telling it like it is, right? And at least you had the courage to do what most people are thinking, but they just, they're just too scared. Like, I can't leave this situation because how am I going to pay for my whatever? How am I going to eat? You know? So we were talking a little bit offline. You know, I think there's going to be people that they're going to want to reach out to you. So what's the Um, best way for people to get in touch with you? Honestly, email is probably the best. Feel free to email me. If you want to continue having a conversation, we can chat over the phone, but I think email would probably be amazing. I'd love to hear from anybody who's who even just got inspired for a second <laughs> and maybe and wants to go run a marathon now. <laughs> awesome. So spit out the email and then we'll leave it in the show notes. Alexandra M. Gabrielli at gmail.com. It is okay. long. Look at the show notes. I'm sorry. It's like one tweet, an entire tweet and an email address. <laughs> it's an entire tweet and an email address. All right. That's great. And yeah, I wouldn't, you know, again, take advantage of it because if you listen to this episode, I mean, there's a ton of value here. There's a ton of nuggets that she's dropping and just being, you know, vulnerable and you can learn a lot from her. Before we wrap up, do you have any final thoughts that you want to leave? Something I didn't ask you or maybe that you wanted to share before we go? I would say the biggest thing that helped me understand all of why I do things and what my fears were and why it was really scary to leave my W-2 job, start a business, now I'm back starting it again, was understanding the foundation of those fears 
a lot of that was done in therapy or with a career coach, I would say that is my biggest piece of advice is understand why you react to certain situations or act out of fear in certain situations. Because until you acknowledge and understand why you do things, you can't change them and you can't tackle that fear. So I would say 100% don't talk to a career coach or a mentor or a therapist already start because it's going to give you the kind of the gumption and the power and taking it back so you can make those decisions and kind of change your life. But it's scary. I understand. But it's that first step. The first step is always the hardest. 100%. That's a great final thoughts on mic drop moment. And you said the word gumption. So, you know, <laughs> you know, you don't hear that one every day. No, in all seriousness, Allie, you're awesome. So glad that we met you. And I believe you coined the phrase vacation besties. Vacation besties. That's right. how you're on my phone. <laughs> yeah, this is just seriously awesome. I learned a bunch from you. And thanks so much for agreeing to be on and sharing your story with us today. Really appreciate it. Everyone, so make it a great day. Awesome. Love the shirt, by the way. <laughs> I wore it for you. <laughs> Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the W2 Prison Break Show. Don't forget, you can watch all full episodes on our YouTube channel. Definitely check that out and please subscribe. Go to www.w2prisonbreak.com to learn more. If you like this show, please leave us a rating and review so we can continue to support you and the thousands of others planning their W2 Prison Break. Here's to busting you out.